1: Good morning and
2: welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. As we enter what might well be the hottest day of the year, the sky's blue, there's a bit of haze out there. We're being told uh, by some people uh, that it's certainly going to get up to about 33 degrees in the southeast of this country. It might even reach 40 degrees, which would be quite an extraordinary temperature, I have to be said. I don't think I've ever been uh, in any place quite as hot as that. Uh, But it's obviously going to be one thing only this afternoon. It's going to be taps af, as they say in Glasgow. Uh, Everybody's going to be out enjoying the sunshine. Uh, But, of course, we will not be issuing you with any warnings because we here at Talk TV assume you to be relatively intelligent beings, uh, reasonably intelligent individuals who know how to deal with the weather, uh, so I'm not going to say things like, make sure you take plenty of water with you if you go on the underground. Please ensure uh, that you stay in the shade where possible. Please make sure that you... Don't imbibe too much alcohol, because that can often raise your body temperature. These are the kind of things that people say. I've had an email from uh, my son's school telling me that they're going to be telling them to stay in the shade. Well, actually, he's here with me, so uh, he's doing a week's work experience, so bad luck. Uh, I'm going to be taking him out into the sunshine uh, and enjoying myself, and so will he, uh, quite frankly. Please wear sunscreen. What's wrong with Britain, right? Why do we need to be told how to behave, what to do, who to do it with, when to do it? We've got supposedly a crisis going on in this country of all kinds of things. We've got a crisis of confidence. We've got a crisis of the cost of living. We've got a crisis of fuel. We've got a crisis at the head of government. There is no head of government. We've got a prime minister who's not the prime minister, who's resigned from the prime ministership, but is still in the prime minister's office doing prime ministerial things, even though he can't really do too much because he's not really the prime minister. I wonder if we could just go for a while without one. It seems to work in Northern Ireland. They haven't got any government at all. What's the difference? I mean, does anybody notice? We can save a fortune. How about we don't have one? Sell off 10 Downing Street. Peter Hitchens will be here later. He'll be telling us why he called it uh, a coup done by the pointless against the useless. I don't think he's wrong. Rod Liddle came up with a great idea the other night at the Spectator Party, apparently. He said, why doesn't Boris Johnson just put his name into the ballot? Might as well. I'm thinking of putting my name into the ballot but of course I'm not a member of the Tory party even though some of you think I am. So we've got lots to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about car theft as well because apparently there's more and more cars being nicked than ever before and if you've ever had your car stolen you'll know exactly how useless the police are. Also uh, more trouble at the airports. Apparently they're going to close down even more flights. It's all happening. Uh, We're also going to hear from Keir Starmer, we think. He might actually have something interesting to say. He was talking to Chris Evans earlier on this morning on Virgin, but he's also possibly making a speech of some kind. Don't know what about. But all these different people from the Tory party saying that they want to bring taxes down. Well, maybe if they'd done that before, we wouldn't be in this mess. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call us on, of course. We want to hear your stories, how you are doing, how your weekend was, what you're going to be doing this week. If you can afford to, just make the call because this is the one place where we care what you think. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham, it's Talk TV. Now, I was trying to have a relatively quiet weekend, apart from all the work that I was doing, um, and I kept being bothered by uh, Tory MPs. They keep sending me messages. Some of them strange, some of them odd, some of them downright bizarre. But anyway, more of that later. Let's talk to Rod Little, columnist at The Sun, of course, and a Spectator as well. Rod, a very good morning to you. Good morning. I'm a bit busy at
0: the moment. I'm just filling in a questionnaire which has been sent to me by my local Tory MP, <laughs> asking me who I want to win the uh, leadership election. Um, uh, as I've named Benito Mussolini as my choice, <laughs> uh, it, it, there's a little gap at the bottom for other, and you have to specify. Yes. So I've got Mussolini in first place and Kemi Babinnock in second. Um, I, think I, 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 I think it's a good team. I
2: think though. it's a good team. It's balanced, is not it? It's, I think it's, so. it's balanced. Well, I mean, yeah. the, the, the thing that I find most interesting is, is you know, depending on who supports you. It's either the kiss of death or not. And Michael Gove has decided to go with Kimmy Badenoch. I'm not sure whether that's good uh, for her or not. Well, no, uh, I, I think that's
0: probably actually quite good for Kimmy Badenoch. But uh, at the Spectator party, it was it was very evident that Mike Hancock was uh, being very supportive of Nadim Zahawi, who seemed less impressed by that support than you might imagine, Mike. Um, I don't know why, but. Uh, <laughs> that's what we saw there. Uh, But isn't it all a bit ridiculous?
2: Do you not find that here we are sitting, talking about a job which has been done by somebody uh, of late who you might not regard as perhaps the man with the greatest work ethic in the world, um, and we're now expected to believe that all the other people who were responsible with him for messing everything up could do a better job? Yes. Yeah. That being said, uh, I, I find myself...
0: A bit isolated from many of the Tories I know. Uh, I'm not a Tory, of course. I'm an SDP. Yes. But from many of the Tories I know, I think, I think they have a better chance of winning with a new leader. Uh, now I'm at odds with my wife on this. I'm obviously at odds with Boris Johnson on this, uh, and I'm at odds with a lot of people who voted for Boris Johnson in the first place. But I do think that there's quite a lot of disillusion out here. Uh, certainly up here in the in the Red Wall seats. Yeah. Uh, where the temperature isn't going to climb above 40, mate, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, I, I, I think that, you know, I find it hard to imagine that with Kemi badenock in charge of the Conservative Party, or indeed Suella Barabaman, that the Tories couldn't sweep home next time around.
2: Yes, because um, they do at least have a Conservative heart. Uh, at the middle of their kind of being, whereas many many of them, I mean, I don't think Sunak's got a chance in hell because Sunak is a guy who doesn't believe in lowering taxes, is a bloke who thinks that uh, by making sure that we, you know, sp- spend even more public money, that's the way forward, uh, and a bloke who's impossibly rich to the point where he couldn't really understand what it's like for ordinary people to live. I think that's probably true. I mean, the interesting thing about Rishi
0: Sunak is that he keeps stressing that he's a Thatcherite, but has given away more money than any other chancellor in the history of the world.
2: Hmm.
0: Uh, I don't. Know, I don't quite know. I mean, Rishi, I dare say, would say that he uh, squares that by the fact that we faced two uh, singularities. Ie, COVID. What was the other singularity? Oh, there wasn't really another singularity. Just COVID, really, uh, which meant that he had to what fuel, I well, fuel yeah but the, 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 the rising fuel prices that's not a singularity you know this this stuff happens and it's happened before and by and large people have to try and get around it have to try and look after themselves have to try and budget they don't expect the state to give them millions of pounds mm. every time i think i think that's the that's the problem with the fuel stuff but i do think that you know. People like uh, uh, Badenoch and, and Breveman, uh, who have worked hard to get to the positions they're in, clearly, I think they're the, they're the two candidates who kind of grasp that the culture argument, the culture wars argument, is absolutely crucial. Uh, I think it's more crucial than the economy this time around, because yeah. frankly, the difference between what the candidates are saying on the economy isn't vast, is it, Mike? You know it's it's not there's not clear blue water right no there. uh whereas i think if you went into the next e- election with uh with uh, kemi or sweller um uh, against the knee bending um uh, keir starmer and his inability to define what a woman is then i think you do have clear blue water uh, and i think that that's that's that would be an extremely attractive prospect for an awful lot of voters. Yes.
2: And in your red wall uh, situation up there, what do you hear from people about Boris Johnson? Because there's still quite an awful lot of people uh, who are very sorry that he's gone um, and who would rather he hadn't gone.
0: Not many in my neck of the woods. Um, To a degree, Boris is conflated with the Conservative Party. So I think that whatever way you look at it, the Conservative Party has lost votes as a consequence of this. In that there will be some who still like Boris Johnson and believe that the Tories uh, effected a putsch or a coup. Uh, The majority, though, think that uh, Boris was displaying those typical Tory traits of uh, do as I say, not as I do, Mm. uh, and uh, don't give a monkeys. Uh, Most of the time, I, I just hear... Uh, people sick and tired of Boris, sick and tired of the whole thing, whether they're sick and tired sufficiently to uh, 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 induce themselves to vote for that beacon of charisma, Keir Starmer, I'm not sure. Um, he, I don't think he commends himself to people up here. He doesn't have the radical economic policies, which actually John MacDonald did have, um, and were quite popular in the poorer parts of the Of the northeast you know tax the rich uh uh, nationalize the utilities nationalize the rail services private uh, nationalize the grouse rules that 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 all goes down quite well up here kia doesn't have any of that no but he has got all that utter rubbish uh all all that identity politics identitarian stuff going on Mm. um, which really doesn't commend itself either here or i would
2: suggest anywhere else no also his kind of fence sitting uh, abilities are not something that many people would admire, because people, regardless of what opinion you might have, I think they have more respect for you if you've actually got a reasonably held, well-held opinion, uh, and you can try and convince people of your argument. But he doesn't have any of those. He doesn't actually have any opinions of any kind, as far as I can tell. He doesn't seem to. I mean, in credit, in just just one brief moment of credit for Sakia, uh,
0: which is that he was given a thankless task, taking over a basket case of a party after 2019 mm. uh, and its uh, a Corbynista uh, extravaganzas. Uh, and he's done a reasonably good job of getting rid of the real unis and of making the party seem at least vaguely sensible on everything other than the culture issues. Mm. But there's nothing which actually makes you say, well, I," in the way that there was with with, uh, duplicitously enough, Tony Blair. Mm. There's nothing really for for the public to say, well, I really like the look of him. He's the man for me. Uh, This could be a new era, which is, of course, what everybody thought with Tony Blair. And it was a new era. We invaded half the world. Uh, So well done. Um, So I don't think there are enough positive attractions for Sir Keir Starmer. But even so, they may still take an awful lot of those old red wall seats up here uh, including possibly the one that I'm in, you know, which has only got a 1,300 majority. Mm. Uh, uh, and, uh, I sincerely hope that doesn't happen uh, because some of the Labour MPs who are in seats up here are absolutely the most ghastly individuals you could imagine.
2: Well, I think that's the problem. I mean, I've got a <laughs> list of, of MPs in front of me, uh, which is supposedly this list that's been going around. I'm not going to mention any names, but it's the Tory Whips Office list, allegedly, of various peccadillos that uh, belong to certain MPs, some of whom you've heard of, some of whom you haven't, but almost all of them involve <coughs> something inappropriate. And I think that's the problem. we don't know enough about an awful lot of the Labour Party MPs. And I'm sure they're just as bad. Uh, And I think that's the other problem that we've got in this country at the moment is there's an awful lot of disrespect for all MPs. But stay where you are for a moment because we're going to just take a little short break. We're talking to Rod, little uh, columnist at the Spectator, and the Sun, of course, about a great many things, including who should be the next leader of the Tory Party and therefore the next Prime Minister. This is Talk TV.
3: Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome
2: back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're going to be talking about people stealing cars uh, coming up shortly. Apparently there's a bit of a rash of that going on. Uh, Carl says, remember when people used to break into cars to steal the radio? He said, now they're just nicking the car for the petrol i tell you what, I think that's going to become a thing. Uh, it's people siphoning petrol out of each other's cars, which used to be a thing many years ago. I think that's going to come back. Let's talk to Rod Little, columnist at The Sun. We were talking, of course, about uh, who on earth is going to end up uh, in the uh, final two, in fact, for, uh, for the, the ballot, for who leads the country into the next sort of election. We're talking uh, about two years away. Um, I think it's almost impossible to say at the moment, Rod, isn't it? Yes.
0: Yeah, I think it is, uh, though... Uh, once it comes down to the final two, whoever is to the right will get it. Uh, I mean, we we don't know yet if Priti Patel is going to stand, for example. And we're now, we're I mean,
2: told she might be announcing this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Well, she she stands a good chance uh,
0: uh, amongst the members, yes. not amongst the uh, MPs. Uh, the MPs are a very sniffy bunch, mm. uh, and you, you know the, the 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 great problem I see is that we get two people who are effectively social liberals uh such as jeremy hunt um and maybe tom Tuggenhat, mm. uh, as the top two at the end of the of the mp's uh, voting which i think would be a problem even though I, you know i think tom Tuggenhat's a, a clever enough bloke jeremy hunt i i would good lord you know i would i uh, I would. I, I cannot think of anyone worse to lead the Conservative Party than Jeremy Hunt. I, I heard can, him. know, neither can I. Uh, I. I heard him. I heard an interview with him on LBC. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday. It was. Uh, he, he said he was going to be steady but vigorous. It <laughs> sounds as if he sounds as if he's on the job.
2: Uh, I, I, I mean, you know. He was going to say, "It sounds like one of those characters that's in the list that I've got here, uh, which yeah, no, indeed, almost inevitably yeah. ends with inappropriate with women, inappropriate with women." Yeah, uh, <laughs> but, it, but it was just this uh, this
0: sense of entitlement, which I think Jeremy Hunt has, and also, of course, the fact that nobody in the red wall seats will vote for him ever, uh, given his stance on Brexit and his his uh, his attempts to to get rid of Brexit, you know, Um, so so it's very, very hard to see. Tom Tugendhat is slightly different in that we don't know that much about him. Uh, It is nice to have someone, you know, with an IQ above a bowl of uh, Angel Delight whip. Yes. uh, And and Tugendhat does have that. And he was
2: in the military, Uh, so we know that he's quite a principled character because of that.
0: Yes, yes, we do. And also, uh, something else which commends him very much to me is that... uh, I I wrote something about him in the Sunday Times, which was wholly inaccurate recently. And he sent me a very nice email pointing out that it was wholly inaccurate and saying, but don't worry about it, old chap. (laughs) Which, Which is, if I'd done that about John Major, the nasty, chippy little man would be bouncing around the lawyer's courts
2: by now. Yes.
0: Uh, I particularly uh,
2: enjoy it when John Major gets uh, on his moral high horse, because there are those of us who might remember one or two episodes in his career, uh, which are best not mentioned before breakfast, for fear of putting people off their breakfast. No, I mean, geez, and I'm not geez. even talking about Edwina Curry. I'm talking about all of his various members of his cabinet, the Back to Basics Brigade, who seem yeah. to think that Back to Basics uh, meant something like removing your trousers before you do anything else. Yeah, no, indeed, the
0: Back to Basics Brigade followed oh. by the Brown the brown Envelope Brigade. Yes, exactly. Uh, right. you know, there isn't a Conservative politician I, I dislike more than John Major. Uh, however, uh, for, for those Conservatives who are uh, sort of in dread of what's going to happen to their party and have already kind of consigned the next election to secure and the knee benders, uh, John Major, of course, does offer the uh, the suggestion that it might not go that way. I mean, he was very unfancied as a leader when he was elected, and he stopped Neil Kinnock getting uh, uh, the 92 election mm. uh, and did so by, by some margin, you
2: know. But was that um, not more about Kinnock kind of kiboshing his own uh, hopes by, by doing all sorts of ridiculous things, falling in the sea for one, and then, of course, the famous Nuremberg style rally? All right.
0: All right. Yes. Uh, You know, I'm I'm
2: probably alone on this channel in in having
0: a degree of affection for Neil, uh, given that I was one of the speechwriters for for the Labour front bench between 1983 and 1987. But uh, you may be right. Those were the days, mate. But but I I think, yes, you're right to a degree that it was more a vote against Kinnock than it was a vote for Major. But nonetheless, you could see the same thing happening next time around in any way with Sikir. Yes, uh, because I don't think Sikir has that weight and um, and compulsion uh, um, amongst people mm. uh, that they would vote for him. I just cannot yeah.
2: see it. Yeah. And also, I mean, I, in a way, the Tories removing Boris has, it may work out in their favour because Keir Starmer's only real kind of campaigning slogan is that he's got integrity, and the other bloke doesn't. Well, guess what? He's gone now, so if you get somebody else, else in who you can't accuse of not having any integrity, then there goes your argument, isn't it? Well, it does, and, and it's worse enough for Labour, of course, because yet again, the Conservative Party,
0: if it elects Suella Brotherman or Kemi Badenoch, here, look, we've got a young, formerly working-class, immigrant black woman uh, leading our party. How are you lot getting on yeah. in Labour,
2: you know? You well, know, yeah. where, where, where's, where's your commitment? Well, it's party? no surprise, of course, that they haven't appointed a woman as leader because they don't know what one is. <laughs> no, indeed. That's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's a very, very good point indeed. But if you read, you read
0: someone like Suzanne Moore, who is a died in the wall, Labour supporter, yeah. or suddenly on the left in The Spectator, saying, you know, why can't the Labour Party, you know, uh, uh, find a woman or someone from an ethnic minority background uh, to to lead the party. Are they racist? You should just at last come to the conclusion, it's taken so long, Suzanne, come to the conclusion that there is something a little bit racist and sexist in the way that Labour views women and uh, ethnic minority people. And there has been there they treat them as clients. They treat them as needy children. You know, It's, it's a it's a racist view of ethnic minorities and women they—they uh, they think they are people who, who need the Labour Party to advance in society. And people like, Sacha Javid and um, and Suella Breverman and uh, uh, Zahawi and so on don't need the Labour Party, and have shown that they don't need this patronising, condescending toss which Labour mm. sort of shovels over the heads uh, of of, uh, of working class Black and Asian uh, minorities. Yes.
2: Well, I remember there being a very famous poster back in the sort of, I think it was the early 80s. It must must have been while Thatcher was around. It might have been in the 82 um, election, I think. And it was, uh, I was actually working for an Asian magazine at the time and there was an Asian businessman holding a briefcase and it was an advert for the Tory party and it said, um, um, the Labour Party calls you black, we call you British. And it was brilliant because it just cut right through all of that nonsense. Yes, no, that, that's absolutely right. And I think
0: I think we are beginning to see a change, just as we, we saw a change in America, and we tend to follow America in, in this respect, that, that more and more, particularly Muslim, uh, but, but, uh, but also Black and Asian British people <clears throat> are moving away from the Labour Party. And it used to be that the, that the Muslim vote went exclusively to the Labour Party, mm-hmm. you know, without any questions asked. Uh, sometimes uh, propelled in that direction by local imams and so on. But more and more Muslim people are looking at the Labour Party, and they may have done very well in their lives, made themselves into, you know, big businessmen and uh, businesswomen, Uh, and they also loathe uh, the identitarian politics of the Labour Party, particularly when it comes to the schooling of children and transgenderism and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, why on earth should we vote for this stuff? And we've seen that happening with the Hispanic vote in the USA and to a degree, uh, the black vote in yeah. the US. So I, I think that's the next thing which is going to happen over here. And it can only help uh, those parties which are socially conservative.
2: Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Rod, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much indeed. As ever, Rod Little, columnist at The Sun and The Spectator, of course, and The Sunday Times, talking to us there uh, about what he thinks the landscape is going to look like. The landscape could be very different. The prime minister could be a very different figure. Who's it going to be? Who do you want it to be? 03444991000. Will anybody make any difference at all? Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock. Of course, it is going to be a very hot day. But as you heard from uh, Rod Little there up in the northeast of England, not particularly as hot up there as it will be down here. Lots of people saying uh, that they remember 1976, of course, which was one of the hottest uh, years uh, for summer. Uh, Morning says Brexit duck. I was 12 in the summer of 1976. How the hell did we survive without the government telling us summers are hot? Uh, And Paul says this ditto. I was 12 in 1976 as well. I was hardly ever indoors. If this sort of heat is becoming common for summer, bring it on. It's long overdue. There's nothing better. I must admit, I came in on Saturday night to do the show with uh, Kevin O'Sullivan, the Saturday night talkaway. And uh, it was really, really great just to see so many people out and about enjoying the pubs, enjoying restaurants, enjoying cafes, walking around you know, it really does make you feel like you're in some kind of, you know, continental paradise, which is rather nice, I think. One of the problems, of course, that we we have going on currently at the moment is crime. Um, and this morning's story about crime, uh, to which we're going to talk to Peter Blexley about, former Metropolitan Police detective, of course, is that the Metropolitan Police have all but decriminalised theft from cars. And that would be um, theft from cars and theft of cars. And if you've ever had anything stolen from your car or has your car stolen, Uh, you will know how hard it is to get it tracked, to get it traced, to even get it back. I know I've spoken to people on this show before uh, who have had motorbikes stolen and they've even put trackers on them, and even then the police still wouldn't go and get them. So we don't know why this is happening. Let's find out. Peter is here. Peter, very good morning to you. Good morning. I'm looking at two uh, uh, timetables in the Telegraph today. Percentage of crimes resulting in a charge or a summons, it only goes up to 10, meaning 10%. And right now, in 2021, it's down as low as two and a half,
4: three percent 3%. It's not acceptable, this, is it? No, and there's even worse, worse news, because if you look at the Metropolitan Police's clear-up rate for theft from motor vehicles, it's as low as half a percent. So I kind of feel like I'm trapped in some sort of 1980s um, car crime recurring nightmare, <laughs> because we had this kind of issues way back in my day when I was a uniform cop. And of course, pressure then was put upon car manufacturers to make vehicles more secure. And to a certain extent, that did succeed for a while. But now, because there are so few police officers available to form specialist squads to tackle motor vehicle crime on a local level, We are, sadly, where we are.
2: Yes. I mean, there was a time when uh, cars were stolen sort of to order. I seem to remember that you'd find that a lot of cars were shipped off to Eastern Europe. They'd be kind of, you know, a bit replated, sometimes re-sprayed, and it was quite a big business. Is that still going on, or is it less organised than that now?
4: Oh, yes. You could have your very expensive vehicle stolen from the driveway of your home, for example, And by the time you wake up at 8 a.m. to discover that it's not there anymore, it could be on a container being shipped to any part of the world where it will be resold for a considerable profit. Hmm. But this theft from motor vehicles, and generally speaking, motor vehicle crime, is very difficult to detect. um, Because if somebody merely smashes the window of your car and steals something from it. And and on that note, please, please, everybody, do not leave your bags or any other valuables. In fact, do not even leave that handful of coins in your car Mm. that you know you might use when you're parking and you need a pound for that or a pound for the shopping trolley. Please don't even do that because so much of this theft from motor vehicles is opportunist. And if they see a chance to break a window and snatch whatever they can, then these unscrupulous pieces of garbage will do exactly that. Yes. And we have to reduce their opportunities.
2: There's no doubt about that. The other thing I've noticed a lot lately is, particularly with expensive cars, if I park in a car park or something, you see an awful lot of people using the old-fashioned crook lock thing that you used to put across the steering wheel, you know, to stop people from actually being able to drive the car away. So that's obviously a thing now
4: as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. They've had a, a reinvention... And, of course, they're far more sophisticated than they used to be uh, when essentially it was just a a piece of metal with two hooks on it now. Um, They come with added security measures. They are fiendishly difficult for a crook to remove from your car. And whilst it might be a bit of a pain to spend a few seconds when you park your car, wherever that is, to get the device out, to lock it onto your steering wheel and then go, it's actually worth it. Because if you've worked extremely hard to buy yourself a nice car, then please protect it. We don't want to give these people opportunities to steal them. Is there any point in doing that thing that some people
2: say you should do, which is to turn your wheels into... I'm sorry to do all these ridiculous steering wheel actions. Uh, to turn your wheels into the kerb, which makes it apparently more difficult if you've got steering lock on
4: for the car to be moved. Well, I'd have a read of the steering wheel lock instructions and follow those the T. That's not a tactic that I'm particularly familiar with, but just doing the simple basics like removing everything from your car Mm. is absolutely essential because these crimes are so difficult to detect. They're not so hard to prevent. But of course, our police don't have the numbers to do that. Back in the day when I was a a uniform cop, myself and some colleagues were plucked from our shifts, put into plain clothes given two or three vehicles, and we patrolled the hotspots where those crimes were happening. Now, we didn't arrest car thief after car Mm. thief. We arrested relatively few people. But those crimes stopped. But, of course, now police officers simply can't be spared to be put onto little teams like that to tackle these crimes.
2: Yes, exactly right. And I mean, the new boss of the Metropolitan Police, a guy by the name of Sir Mark Rowley, I don't know if you know him, um, he's being urged to sort of take action because once again, we're seeing the figures are just ridiculous, right? The Metropolitan Police solved 0.5% uh, of theft from vehicle crimes, which is 271 out of nearly 55,000.
4: Oh, that's incredibly bad. It is. It's absolutely astonishing. And whilst I hope that Mr Rowley is very successful in reducing crime and regaining public trust. There was something that he said about uh, last week when his appointment was announced, and he said that there's going to be a focus on data and technology to apply to policing. Well, there is definitely a place for that. But about a couple of decades ago, some bright spark um, of a senior officer said that data analysis was going to mean that we'd virtually live in a crime-free nirvana because... (laughs) because data would tell us where crimes were going to be committed and therefore they could be prevented. Of course they could. Well, needless to say, that wasn't the most successful tactic (laughs) ever.
2: I mean, I would have to say, and I don't know whether you agree with this, Peter, that the Metropolitan Police, along with lots of other forces, are probably at their least efficient now than they've
4: ever been. Yeah, well, six UK police forces are in special measures, and that is a really damning indictment on the leadership teams amongst all of those forces who have quite clearly failed in their core policing jobs which is to prevent crime to protect the public and when crime is committed to find those people who who committed those crimes capture them and put them in front of a court so many uk police forces are failing you me your listeners your viewers mm. and that is a scandal
2: it is it's a crime in fact some people would say peter thank you very much indeed peter blexley a former metropolitan police detective on the unbelievable stats that say that basically less than one percent of crimes uh, which involve theft from a car are ever solved um, or uh, have any kind of prosecution whatsoever and something like two to two and a half percent of cars that get stolen um result in a charge or a summons most of them Don't ever get found. Most of them, you'll never see them again. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you, of course, throughout the hottest day of the year so far. And don't forget... Um, If you're not sure what to do in the heat, uh, make sure you check in with the BBC because they'll have a load of information for you so that you can get through the day uh, without either, one, getting sunburnt, two, dehydrated, or three, dying. Uh, Because, of course, you know, it's never been this hot before, has it? Not even in 1976. I seem to remember lying on the flat roof of my parents' uh, building. You know, when I say building, it was a flat uh, that had a flat roof on the top. And my sister and I sunbathed up there and got completely burnt to a crisp and then went to watch the... um, I think it was the premiere of Tommy, the movie. But anyway, Peter Hitchens is here. Um, you remember the summer of 1976, no I doubt. I remember it
3: very well, yes.
2: When it was as hot as it is now. Um, but we weren't being given constant warnings about how to avoid dying. No, but
3: we had a Minister of Drought. We must have had one, yes. We had a minister, almost about two days after he was appointed, the, the heavens opened. And it was <laughs> amazingly effective. Thereby proving. That appointing a Minister of Drought was the right thing to do. <laughs> It really is astonishing. Dennis Howell, I think it was. Was it? Yes. I think so, who later became, or had already been, Minister for Sport. Which yes, Which in, in I remember those him. days seemed a very odd thing. Yes. We didn't have all these ministers for weird things in those days. No.
2: I mean, I saw a couple of resignations last week of uh, ministers that I didn't know existed. There a was couple? One, there was, there I was saw one, about 40 Well, there was a woman um, who was Minister for Climate Adaptation. There you are. Then. Right? Now, I don't even know what that is. Well, I think it's. What, I think
3: it's what's just brought down the government in Salon.
2: Uh, well very possibly so what is going on there that's well fascinating apparently they, story. They,
3: they've uh, refused to use fertilizer or something because they've gone all organic and mm. as a result there's no, not enough food
2: isn't it funny how this net zero maniac mania seems to be driving economies into the, into the sea
3: yeah exactly the the, e, e, the Germans who had gone completely round the bend uh, have uh, have backed away from that yeah. and gone back they've gone back so to they, coal they, haven't they? they had never stopped coal but they've mm. st- they've stopped dismantling their nuclear power yes, they, they realized really. that if they if they carried on as they had been, uh, the places of go dark. Mind you, uh, Germany is now saying it's going to ration in heating, uh, close swimming pools, mm. and all kinds of things in the coming winter. And I have to say, I wonder how long it's going to be.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right.
3: Before, people have to wonder about that here, yeah, uh, because the Germans are in competition with us for the the gas that doesn't come from Russia. Yes,
2: quite. And of course, the fracking argument continues here without really making any progress. We still hear yeah. that there's a there's another review, but nobody's actually getting yeah. Any I, I, I have
3: to it. severe doubts about fracking in a country of this size. Uh, I think there is a real problem with the way that it pretty much destroys water. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure about the the earthquake side of it, but the, the the very heavy use of water, which then can't be used for anything afterwards, right. is quite is quite a severe problem. It seems yeah. to be in, in in a in a huge landscape as they have in the United States, where these things can be done far away from people, it's one thing. Yeah, but in a densely populated landscape like ours, I'm not sure it's going to be quite so easy. So I'm I, I'm always a bit suspicious of that lobby. Yes, I mean
2: I I have no skin in the game, as they say. I mean I'm I'm not convinced really either way. But my sense is it's never going to happen.
3: Well, it might it might happen because it has to. Mm. Uh, that's the thing. I, it, I it wouldn't I wouldn't rule out the reopening yeah. of coal mines on a large scale before uh, b- before the century. Because the
2: out. Electri- electrification, I suppose, if you like, of everything, never seems to take account of where the electricity is going to be generated from.
3: Well, if the electric car is successful, we simply will not have enough electricity to charge them. All. Yeah. Though quite why it should be successful, every account I read there was quite a good one in, at the weekend. Uh, every gallery of somebody who actually drives out an electric car, it's incredibly difficult uh, to get them to, to, to get above a certain range, and it's incredibly difficult to recharge them. Yeah. And once people have begun to have this experience in large numbers, who's going to buy them? And then there's the other thing, as I said, if everybody has them, where are we going to generate the power to charge them? Mm. It's, it's a huge amount of power. It and also, the, the more people who
2: battery. need to find a charge point. You know, the more difficult that becomes. Yeah. Because everywhere you go where they've now built in some charge points, say, for example, in underground car parks or in sort of shopping areas and that, there's only ever no more than six of them.
3: Yes, and, so, it, and people say they compare them to petrol stations, yeah. but you're in and out of a petrol station in a few minutes. Right. At a charging point, it's a, it's a very long time. Indeed, no one's overcome that problem. The other simple point is this, that the electricity to charge up the batteries has to be made. Uh, Generally, by polluting power stations, so the whole idea that they're green is is a complete delusion.
2: Yes, indeed. I mean, I was mildly amused by Gloucester Police or Gloucestershire Police's uh, purchase of sixty six Nissan Leafs. Uh, which they've now worked out are completely useless in <laughs> Gloucestershire because it's a bit rural there. Uh, they didn't know that,
3: apparently. And there's well, nowhere to charge well, them. Well, I keep telling you they don't go that much. <laughs> now that they've suddenly discovered that Gloucestershire's quite rural. <laughs> yeah. You
2: kind of go, what? Well,
3: uh, uh, there's, one, there's one bonus from this. Yeah. They have actually found out where Gloucestershire is and what it's like, which previously they, yes. they probably didn't know.
2: But they'll probably now have to sell on the, Leafs, the Nissan Leafs. And to the then
3: they might be able to afford the ideal police vehicle.
2: Yes. The, the bicycle. The bicycle, yes. Well, funny enough, I was going to talk to you about bicycles because... The This morning, we were talking about the Metropolitan Police all but decriminalising theft, not only from cars, but also of cars. There's an awful lot of people having things stolen from their cars. I was suggesting that soon people will probably have petrol siphoned out of their cars because it's actually the most valuable is this thing this not happening? Them.
3: I mean, the, 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 the theft of catalytic converters from cars... That was a thing versions, for a while. Which still is, it is, still it? is a thing. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, I, I'm, I'm sure that as the price of petrol goes up, siphoning will become...
2: Uh, well, I mean, you're talking about, say, t- stealing effectively £100 worth well, of goods, well, goods, aren't you? Yeah,
3: more, but, but decriminalising is, is what the police do. Uh, they they fiddle the uh, they, they they fiddle the actual crime figures by pretending things haven't happened or, or merging or merging thirty crimes yes. into one or whatever it is they do and there are lots of techniques I I got jeered at for writing about this a few years ago and had the great pleasure of seeing everything I'd written vindicated by the House of Commons Home Affairs Committee mm. they do fiddle the crime figures But yes. the other thing they do is they simply ignore crimes completely yeah. they don't they're shoplifting people have known for years they mm. won't turn out for car thefts no. burglary or burglary the rest. they're not well it, we've got
2: a million unsolved burglaries haven't we
3: yes and, and and that figure is not going to go down no uh the the the, the number of, of of new burglaries will rise much faster than yes. the number of sold burglaries. we actually
2: had a guy call us um or texas i can't remember exactly what a couple of weeks ago to say that uh, they reported a burglary having come home from holiday at 7.30 in the evening. At uh, 10.30 in the evening, they got a call from the police saying that they'd closed the case.
3: <laughs> well, that's sufficiency for you. It was brilliant. But, they, said, but well, hang on, uh, you haven't done anything. Oberon War said years ago, and it was a brilliant observation, the police had stopped being a police force and had become a national crime reporting organisation. Yeah. Uh, that, that is pretty much what they are. And it's
2: amazing that he was saying that so many years ago because now it's even worse.
3: Oh, it's much worse. But they, they are, at, the, at best, an adjunct to the insurance mm. industry.
2: Yes, and you've had a bicycle stolen. Oh, good heavens! There's yeah. an awful lot of that going on. as well, well, it was
3: stolen. It was stolen virtually in my presence. Was it? Well, I'd just, uh, I just I'd propped up my my bike outside the block of flats I lived in in London at the mm. time, uh, and I, I suddenly dashed back upstairs to get something. And as it as it happened, and I, you hadn't locked it up. I was also, yes, no. I it was it took too long, and as it happened, I, I was carrying in one hand a bag of laundry, right, and I came down to see my bike being ridden off, not by some, uh, by, by some. Uh, lithe y- youth yeah. by a middle aged uh, man with pepper and salt moustache and a tweed jacket and he was How going bizarre. And I made the terrible mistake of shouting after him I mm. think stop thief or something right. original and I gave chase right. and he alerted to the fact that I was chasing him he managed to get a bit of his terrible old bike <laughs> and I, but I, ca- I still caught up with him enough to ba- biff him round the head oh, well, well four found. or five times with the bag of laundry and I can tell you that a bag of laundry is completely useless as a, a, as a blunt instrument, yeah. he st- he staggered a bit and and wobbled, but he did not come off. And then no. he really found his uh, found his feet and zoomed off. Wow, uh, down to Kentish Town, and yeah. I never saw the bike again. Yeah. It's a great tragedy, but I do lock them more carefully. I had a bike
2: now. stolen once years and years ago, but it was actually chained up. And I can't remember. I, can't, I think they just cut the chain. You oh, see that can people, happen too. You see people doing it. You see kids going around with these, sort of, you know, yeah, bul- bul-
3: croppers And apparently and, uh, there are apparently all kinds of wonderful things they can do, like, like uh, they can freeze the lock so hard that it becomes brilliant. Yeah. It was
2: funny, actually, because I was walking into work today and my son's with me doing a bit of work experience and I had to explain to him that while walking through the streets of London, you now have to look basically 365 degrees in all directions before you cross any road because anything could be coming at you from almost any angle whether it be and just as I said it one of those scooters whizzed by that way and then a bike came the other way um, and then you know somebody sort of running came. And, you know it's, it's so it's chaotic now.
3: Yeah, it keeps you. It keeps Total chaos. It'll, it'll certainly mean that all the s- slow people are eliminated. Probably by about <laughs> twenty thirty. <I laughs> think won't be right. any slow people left. I they think won't.
2: It. They absolutely won't. Let's talk a bit about the uh, what you wrote this weekend about the useless and the pointless, which I thought was rather good. Oh, uh, good a good point, well made.
3: Yeah, no, it, it was.
2: I just felt that
3: that it, 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 he is Johnson is useless. But the people who got rid of him uh, were, were pointless. It was Im- Im- impossible to find myself taking sides in this mm. or feeling particularly grief-stricken. I just, he is, he, 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 there is nothing there. there yeah. is, he, he, I've always said he's very nice to meet and women, in many cases, love him. Mm. In some cases, too much. Yeah. Uh, but he's he, there's nothing there. And I said he was, he was he was like I don't know. Do you read the works of P.G. Woodhouse or, or watch even the TV versions? Mm. He's, he's, he's like Bertie Wooster yeah. with no jeeves, but without
2: the jeeves. Yeah, that yeah. was an interesting. Bertie Wooster
3: without with no jeeves, and it, 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 it there's nothing. There's no seriousness there. Uh, there was never any purpose. No. I remember those great screeds he used to write for the Daily Telegraph at about a million pounds of word mm. that they used to... People used to say how wonderful they were, and I would force myself to read them. And i come out of the other end and think, oh, what was that about? Yes. Uh, and there was I attended his speeches. It was the same. Once you'd heard two of his speeches, yeah. uh, and I'm, by, the, by the time um, I would got to the end of it, I must have heard about 20, uh, The really, again, you realise it was all flash and glitter and fireworks. Yeah. The, the, there's no... There, there. no substance it's a bit so like listening what's to what's gone You see, nothing's, nothing's no. gone except a very very popular man
2: well I found myself thinking this morning as I came in as you do sort of thinking of a theme for the week it's a bit like um, having nobody in charge really there's not much difference. If we had nobody in charge, would it actually be any different? If we didn't bother getting a new prime minister, would it matter?
3: Well, something's in charge. I think there is a, uh, there is a, a p- political class in charge, and they run so many things. They run all these quangos, mm. uh, which interfere in our lives. They, run, they even run the shops, which you must have noticed the way the supermarkets yeah. deluge you with propaganda. Uh, they run all the uh, all the organizations which constantly pester you about, about global warming and how you've got to behave in certain ways about yeah. that. And they are not stopped or hindered by the government. I'm always amused when people say that if, if a prime minister goes on holiday or is ill, who is running the country? Mm. Prime ministers don't run the country. At best, they run the government, and that's yeah. if they're lucky. The country runs itself in a sort of way. But, you sort of but at had... the moment, the, the the governing elite which we have, which is installed in all important places, pretty much, from HR departments in, in, in wherever you work, to local government, to to, to Ofcom and the Quangos, yeah. they're all the same people, and they all think the same thing. There's and a lot of them. There, there are a lot of them. They are they are the people I was at university with, yeah. just as the universities began to expand, and there will be more.
2: Uh, unfortunately, they're not the people your parents warned you about.
3: No. I wish they no, had warned they...
2: us. <laughs> They're around too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, We've got lots to do. We haven't taken any of your calls yet, but we will. So please do be patient. We will get to you, of course, uh, because we have an awful lot to talk about. But the the question really is, you know, all of these people who are lining up to run to be the prime minister, who are telling you now what they really believe, but they couldn't say before because of cabinet responsibility. You know, it's all just a crock of nonsense, isn't it? Do you really believe it? Do you? Well, maybe, maybe you can convince me. Uh, this is the Independent Republican Mike Graham's Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Much to do, much to talk about. We're talking about the theft of cars and things stolen from cars. It used to happen an awful lot. Uh, I want to know what happened, if it happened to you. Um, Burglaries are not being investigated, says Yvonne, but I had bailiffs turn up at my house for driving 20 yards into the congestion zone due to a new no-right-turn policy forcing me to drive in solely to turn around and leave. This is what's going on now, isn't
3: it? Yes, under, under Labour, it'll be a no-left-turn policy. Presumably. Uh, presumably so, yeah. Careful which way I just saw go. Keir
2: Starmer talking about how he was going to change Britain, and I could only stand about 35 seconds of it before I had to switch it off.
3: Well, the trouble is you should listen carefully, because he probably means every word.
2: Yeah, but there was. But again, he speaks without saying anything. He doesn't... Act, he said, "This is why well, we I, keep, to... I keep
3: warning you about Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer is a Pabloite. <laughs> he is a red-green Euro-communist. Yes. He has terrible plans for you, which he... Oh, which, I'm sure he which, does. He will, that's after, of course... Uh, he's reformed the voting system. So but this he, is the problem, is it not? put himself permanently in power.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, the way that one of the scenarios goes is that he gets into uh, some kind of coalition government with the SNP. The SNP then get, as a result of that, independence for Scotland. Um, Labour then are in control because they can have the majority in England only because they can't really get anywhere in yeah, Scotland. Yeah, there's a more
3: interesting variant on that. Hmm. He, he made that speech. A few days ago, in which he he pretty much cheesed off about half his own voters by saying he wouldn't he wouldn't leave the European Union or right. the single market right. or the, and uh, now, why would he do that? I think it's because he he, he doesn't really care uh, about losing those voters in fact, he would quite like to see a big liberal Democrat vote in the next election. Mm-hmm. He knows he can't win it right. but he knows that the big liberal liberal Democrat turnout is the biggest danger to the to the Tories yes, uh, he could then form an alliance with them right and everything i hear suggests that will then lead to a, a, another election uh, on, uh, on on proportional representation yeah and once we go to proportional representation, you'll never have a conservative government in no. this country again. And there's
2: a lot of voices in favour of proportional representation. Well, they don't understand what it will no. mean. That's why they're in favour of but it. But we once had a referendum, didn't we, on something that nobody understood? Yeah, which but was it, that sort of um, what was it called? Um, AV. AV. That's yeah.
3: right. Yeah. It, it. It. was. No one put any effort into it. It was. It was designed. I think. To, it was designed. It was one of those rockets designed to yeah. fail. And it, and it duly did this, And it was almost the,
2: impossible the, the, to to explain as but well. This time they won't do a referendum. Yeah.
3: This time will be part of the deal he does with the Liberal Democrats. I'm, I'm guessing, and then they'll just, uh, they will just put a, a bill through, yeah. and quite possibly abolish the House of Lords. Yes, and replace and it again, with the Senate as there well. Be and, of and, and there will be an election. Everything will change.
2: Yeah. Well, you've been um, right about most of this stuff before. So I People be. should be very wary of that. But what would be the time frame for all that?
3: Then? I don't know, but I, th- I think that if, if it turns out, because Blair was actually quite disappointed to have that huge majority in mm. 1997 he he and particularly his his great mentor roy jenkins have been hoping that the lib dems would form part of the government so they could then move on to proportional mm. representation but of course the labor victory was so huge yeah in Ninety-seven. They didn't need the Liberal Democrats, so he couldn't persuade his own party. And anyway, at that time, they thought they would win everything. But you look at Labour now; they struggle to win seats in the mm. south of England, yeah. and it's very, very hard to see how they can get an absolute majority in in England alone, uh, and, and with Scotland largely gone to the SNP, yeah. they need some other way of getting there. Yeah. And I would have thought proportional representation is it. If you if you were on the left in this country, you'd want proportional representation it would it would it would break up the Tory party almost certainly and it would make it impossible but interestingly in Scotland where you would have thought that
2: might also lead to a more broad church of kind of you know government so that you'd have a lot more coalition government they are in some kind of kind of ragtag coalition with the Greens now the SNP but by and large the SNP have just waltzed in and now more or less have everything I'm told the Labour Party out there are coming back a bit because of Anna Sawa who's quite quite a good uh, you know decent individual but you know, it hasn't led to what I would have thought would be more that kind of chaotic form of government.
3: No, that that is because the SNP is so totally dominant, mm. uh, which normally in a, in a in a in a system with alternative members, which is what we'd end up with, which is what we have in London. Yeah. Uh, as, and also in Wales, it's the, it's the chosen system mm. ever since the Blairites started messing mm. around with the with the with the regional votes. Yeah, if you if you have that system, generally it won't come up with that result. It's mm. pretty much designed to prevent anyone getting an overall overall majority. Yes,
2: and to get rid of the House of Lords, what would need to happen? Surely there would need to be know. some kind of constitutional change, I, wouldn't there? The, the, the,
3: the, I, I honestly don't know uh, whether you. It, also, see, the House of Lords is the guardian of the Parliament Act, which is mm. the which is the, the act which says how often elections should be held, right. and therefore it's a very dangerous thing to to get mixed up with. But I don't think there's any rule in the Constitution against reforming it. Mm. And the Blairites chucked out all the hereditary peers. Uh, Macmillan brought in apart Ly- from Ly- bizarrely ninety nine of them, right? Well, exactly. But uh, that was just one of those little sentimental concessions which made the the major task easier. Yeah. But I don't know whether there's anything to stop them. Mm. And I think a lot of people looking at the state of the House of Lords, especially since Cameron crammed it with all those people uh would say why why who's going to weep over getting rid of it why not elect it i mean there are arguments against it but i'm not going to waste my time here or yours going through them but Mm. it's i think you would find a lot of people saying yeah good idea let's have let's have an elected.' an awful lot of lib dems in the house of Lords more than there should be yeah well but if again it's it's very difficult to justify in any way now Mm. You used to be able to say, when there were a lot of hereditaries in it, that there were a lot of people who owed nothing to any government and therefore yeah. couldn't be couldn't be browbeaten into, into, into voting the way you wanted yes. them to, which was a good thing. Now you can't say that. No. It's full of people who owe favours to the party. I mean, I was
2: down there, funnily enough, unexpectedly. I was invited for lunch, and we were walking through one of the lovely, beautiful old corridors. It's a magnificent building, isn't it? No matter what you might say about what happens inside it. Um, and as we approached this corridor, these sort of men came out of a room and it was Claire Fox I was with and she said oh that's the uh, that's the bishops and you just kind of go what are they doing and why are they there and you know in this day and age what's it got to do with them how we run the country
3: oh well I'd argue very strongly that they should be there yes well you would Well, but, finally uh, we found but, but something on to the disagree other hand I would, I would say that they they, they need they would need to justify themselves much more than they do you need much better bishops I'd prefer it if they believed in God well there is always that
2: you know there? I mean I don't particularly feel religious but i mean i feel as if they should be
3: There should be more (laughs) There should be more religious than there you wouldn't there's there's no sign whenever people say oh well this is really a theocracy it's got bishops in parliament okay you give me one instance yeah of the bishops of the church of england voting as a body or even or even the majority of them voting for any uh, socially or religiously conservative Mm. measure yes Uh, and i'll I'll buy you a drink because there is no such
2: well be himself has been quoted as saying he's not even sure there is a god
3: well, nobody, <laughs> nobody can be sure I, cause un, un, unless, he comes, unless, he, unless he comes to visit you. And you, the ones you need to worry about are the ones who are certain. Well, I suppose so. But
2: I would feel somehow more comfortable with an archbishop who's, who was sure that there was a god.
3: Uh, well you, this isn't the, we this isn't a theological program and I think it's best <laughs> if we keep it that way okay
2: and uh, now uh, have you been appearing on the BBC since I saw you last
3: no I had a cameo appearance uh, a week ago mm. uh, but apart from that no no but so your, your
2: your your sort of uh, council was not sought over the the um, you know, departure of a Prime Minister?
3: I'm shocked to say that... No, no, no. (laughs) Even for a moment, I asked my advice over that, no.
2: No. Well, anyway, um, Julian Assange remains in prison. Um, He does. He hasn't moved anywhere yet. Well, there are no burglars there. There's plenty of room to keep Julian Assange. He probably smoke as well. Any. Any movement on that front at all? Not that
3: I can see. I mean, it's supposed to... The Court of Appeal, I think, has the next decision Mm. to take. And this is... I I find myself conflicted here because if they don't take it up and if it doesn't get taken up by the English legal system, then I think that we may well have to find ourselves relying on the, the... human rights court yep. in strasbourg now i would not normally do that there was one previous occasion when i when the case went before them when i thought that it was right that it should because the english courts wouldn't do anything about it and that was over the closed shop. Sure. the first time i went to strasbourg actually back in the i think it must be the early 80s right. and, they, and they they ruled very much in favor of, of people being free not to join a union yes. which i thought was an important yes thing but it should never have fallen to them to do it mm just as it should never fall to them to, to to sort out this wrangle. But it might have to go there yeah. uh, for before, before there to be a judgment. And if they ruled against the extradition, I think it would be very hard for the government to send him to the USA. Yeah, I think so. But it could be a long time before it winds its way there. Yeah, I suspect so. Peter Hitchens,
2: men on Sunday, columnist, of course. Um, very good to see you. See you at the same time next week. This is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We'll take some calls coming soon. Uh, this is Talk TV.
3: Nationwide, by your side. Talk Radio and Talk
2: TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lots of you want to talk to me, and we will get to all of you, of course. Uh, this one from Mr Bav. No fiddling around with 1P tax cuts will help the energy crisis. Standard of living, terrible wages, or deter European conflicts. It's going to take growth, build houses, nuclear plants, hospitals, and ships at emergency wartime pace with wartime spending and borrowing. Well, that's one view. Uh, let's find what uh, some of the other views are out there uh, when we talk to all of you. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Marco Longhi, MP, is with us. Conservative member uh, for Dudley North, um, former member, of course, of Boris Johnson's government. Marco, very good um, um, afternoon to you, I should say.
1: Good afternoon. Thank uh, you. When very- you say a former member of the government, I, of course, I am a member of parliament of the government, but I wasn't holding a government position.
2: No, indeed. But I thought you were at one point a trade envoy. Oh,
1: yes, Lincoln. yes, yes. So um, that was kind of I, what I, I meant. Sorry, mate, yeah. No, that's all right. Put my I hands know. up to that. Listen, yeah, it's
2: yeah. not easy out there because uh, it's hard to keep up sometimes knowing exactly what's uh, going on and who's in <laughs> and who's out and who's doing what. Um, but let's talk. We had, um, I noticed that Net Zero Watch have uh, congratulated you on signing uh, a, 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 a sort of document that they produced um, about trying to make sense of fracking, make sense of uh, finding our own energy levels. We were talking to a caller just before we were hoping to get you on about what's going on in Holland and, you know, in Sri Lanka and where people are finding it so impossible to to get by because of this net zero commitment. I mean, are you one of those um, rare MPs who would say, actually, perhaps net zero is not something we should be running headlong towards?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Because for me, that's a pragmatic, common sense approach. And uh, what I find in the chamber is, is that it becomes a very binary, polarised conversation. Uh, Either you're an eco-warrior or you're someone who wants to burn the planet. Right. And they are not mutually exclusive conversations. We can be on a direction of travel to 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 help the planet, of course. Mm. and I think everybody would would agree with that. But we have to also recognise that we're in exceptional circumstances. We're fighting a proxy war. We've got massive inflation and we've got fuel at the pumps that my constituents can't afford to fill up their cars with. And telling them that we're investing in renewables isn't allowing them to fill up their cars right now. So I think we need to have some interim measures that makes it easier for people uh, and that will mean increasing production um, and I'm very glad that Kwasi Kwarteng actually came out finally saying that uh, he's going to uh, keep some coal-fired power stations open as well mm. uh, and, uh, but do something with production of oil and gas and absolutely fracking must be on the table And it must be on the table at pace.
2: Yes, because as we see places like Germany threatening to have blackouts over the course of the summer because they haven't got enough energy and they want to save it. In California, they're having the same problem. Um, In places like Sri Lanka and and the Netherlands, they're demonstrating in mass numbers because fertilizer is being sort of phased out because um, farmers are being asked to stop producing livestock. Um, I mean, do you see this country going in that direction? Because surely that's not what people voted for.
1: It's not what people voted for. Uh, to answer your question, is there a direction we could be taking on that journey? I would say yes, but mm. we absolutely need to recognize that there's a transition that we need to go through, which means you don't suddenly deprive people of their ability to go about their daily lives and be in a position of complete unaffordability, not even having the practical, even if you could afford, for example, an electric car, where could a lot of them, a lot of my constituents wouldn't even have a place? to park let alone to park and charge so there's a lot of these things that just have not been thought through uh correctly and i'm definitely one of these saying well i'm standing up for my residence i'm standing up for the people of dudley and probably the rest of the black Wall, which is saying hang on a minute you know yes okay fine but let's do this in a way that's Affordable and mm. practical and deliverable.
2: Yes, because most of the candidates for uh, the leadership of the party at the moment, I would say, are not that different to Boris Johnson in their approach to net zero. One or two maybe are slightly on your side, but not many.
1: Um, and, and and this is why I won't be voting for candidates that uh, are in that not many candidate category. Mm. So for me. And I'm sure part of this conversation is about who you think I should be voting for.
2: Yes.
4: Uh,
1: for well, me, not, the well, person. Well,
2: I, I was going to ask you. I mean, I don't think you should be voting for anyone. <laughs> I would never impose my will on you like that. But if you want to tell me who you're going to vote for, by all means, do.
1: Uh, well, for me, the person has to be a true Brexiteer. Uh, the person has to be the one that makes a very definite commitment to dealing with the uh, the problem that we have with illegal crossings uh and dealing with the european convention on human rights it has to be someone that understands that all the economists will definitely show evidence of the past where whenever we've lowered taxes we've promoted growth and we've had increased revenue come into the treasury you cannot tax yourself out of uh out of a problem so for me it's going to be about lowering taxes not increasing them uh, and, and I'd like to see a straight talking candidate. So not n- none of these people who are signed up to the woke agenda and a true patriot. That's what I want to see as well. Right.
2: You'd like to think that almost all members of the Tory party would have those beliefs, but I mean, it's become something less conservative over the years. A lot of people that I talk to, a lot of the people who voted for Boris Johnson in 2019, you know, they, they worry that the party is not as conservative as it should be.
1: Well, the Conservative Party, to its Great credit actually, has always been a very broad church. Uh, and for that reason, you therefore will have within that very broad church, very uh, different views. So I completely understand that the next candidate needs to be someone who can, uh, as much as possible, unite those sides. But there are some very, very clear positions that, for me, a new candidate needs to take, which is absolutely to deliver on a manifesto that gave us an 80-seat majority, and for that reason, the, the next person needs to be able to turn around and say, we are finally going to be dealing with Brexit. Mm. And, 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 and I have to say, you know, for me, Brexit has not yet uh, been delivered in its entirety until we have a third country court that is able to have a say over what we do and don't in this country, what we can do or don't, for example the deporting of criminals and paedophiles and whatever, and they can still find a way of mm. uh, of preventing that then that's not Brexit deliverer I'm afraid.
2: Mike. It's not. Um, and I mean speaking for example of Northern Ireland I'm not even sure if we actually have a Secretary of State for Northern Ireland at the moment, do we? I presume we probably do, but I don't know who it is.
1: Uh, I'm a... <laughs> I'm <laughs> embarrassed to say, I, I can't answer that question. It literally is changing. I know. But for me, the Northern Ireland Protocol, let me be very clear about this, it is not working. No. I'm very much a patriot, a unionist. We are one country. And I've always in the chamber voted and stand, stood by my uh, DUP uh, friends across the chamber.
2: Right. And do you think in a year's time, and I know it's always difficult to look into the future, Marco, but if you, do you think in a year's time we'll all be sitting around and you guys will all be saying to each other, do you know what? We should never have got rid of Boris.
1: I think there is a distinct possibility of that. Hmm. Uh, I uh, was loyal to Boris till the very last... Um, well, I was like all the way. Uh, I, I did not resign. I can't say I had an awful lot to resign from, but... Um, I was loyal to him. Uh, I owe him my job. I am in a constituency that has never been Conservative. And ever since uh, I was elected, I've done my best to be a good Conservative for the people I represent. Uh, I've been a local MP uh, as much as a, a national one and voted according accordingly in the Chamber. OK.
2: Well, Marco, listen, we'll talk to you again, I'm sure, soon. Closer to the moment when you may decide to declare uh, which candidate you fancy backing, because there's no harm in not knowing at the moment. Marco Longhi their Conservative MP for Dudley North, uh, up there in the Midlands. We've taken uh, loads more of your calls, by the way, uh, 0344 499 uh, 1000. We've got this uh, text that's come in. Uh, Hello, Mike, says Linda. Boris losing his mother last year would probably have had a big effect on him. She was extremely important to him uh, and was very protective uh, was of her when he was a child in a chaotic household. Well... There's all sorts of reasons why Boris Johnson may not be unhappy about leaving. But I think there's an awful lot of Conservative Party members and an awful lot of MPs who will be very sorry that he's gone. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio
0: across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on
2: Talk Radio.